How's it, everybody? Welcome back for another episode with Nick and Ronnie. Thankfully, this is recorded. So whether you're listening now, 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 and dare I forget the just now folk, we're bringing you the latest action in the URC. And a little later in the show, we'll be joined by sports law attorney Shane Wafer to chat about doping in rugby. As far as I understand, uh, Shane Wafer is also a shark supporter, which is great because we only have shark supporters on this uh, show. Yeah, definitely keeping to the trend there, hey? Uh, we changed things up a little bit this week. We're recording on a Sunday, and unfortunately, Ronnie's a little bit bummed this morning. His favorite team, the Stormers, having won the South African Shield. <laughs> so why don't we delve right into the URC, hey, Ronald? Yeah, okay, so the URC happened. Um, it was the last round of pool. It's happening. Happening. <laughs> last round of pool stages taking place. Yeah, regular season done and dusted. All 18 games played by all the teams involved. So uh, we've come to the point where we've got to the business end of the tournament, the exciting bits. Really? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, Sharks played Ulster on Friday night. That was a great game. We had some friends there, sent us some nice footage of the games through. Thanks for that, Bernadine and Ian. But yeah, ultimately, Sharks losing that one 24-21. I'm not sure the scoreline reflects what actually went on in that game. I agree with you. Just uh, just to clarify, who did you back in that? So, I was backing uh, the Sharks to win that one. You thought the Sharks were going to go over to Ulster, play in their home conditions and beat them? Yeah, and I think I said by seven points. So, you said by seven points. Yeah, unfortunately, I was wrong there, but backing the Boykies, I'm not a traitor like you, Ronnie. Well, I've got a picture of you supporting uh, or backing the Cheetahs over the Sharks, so you know what, there's that. But anyways, let's just talk about it. The Sharks going over there, it was really going to be a tough ask, in my opinion, uh, which is why I backed Ulster to, to take that game, and I agree with you. The end score is not reflective of the game. Yeah, I think two weeks ago we were speaking about how great the Sharks' depth is at lock now with these youngsters coming through and how it'll be bolstered by the, the joining up of Etzebet. But our lineout was shocking against Ulster. They stole a number of balls. You know, that's not what you want from a forward pack that features an all Springbok front row, for example. Look, it started off really well. Let's just, let's just before we carry on, they, it started off really well and there were glimpses where the Sharks were quite even with Ulster. But then, like you say, we had these collapses mid-game, you know, in various periods of you know, the game. Players sort of losing attention, losing focus, and Ulster punished them in that time. The comeback at the end also, Ulster taking their foot off the pedal. Lucky to not have lost it at the end there. But I think Sharks definitely deserved losers in that one. They did not play to their potential. And I think something that concerns me a bit with the Sharks' backline, you know, we've got so many Springbok players, but... If you look at them on, on structured attack, they are impotent. They can't get through the game line. We go laterally along the field and we just don't do anything. It's only when um, we look at broken play, then you see the likes of fussy breaking tackles and attacking well with ball in hand. But, you know, that's the less coached aspect of the game. And I think that's going to lead to a lot of pressure on Sean Everett in the coming weeks. So just your take on fussy again, still a little bit small in my opinion. Yeah, you say small, but that kid is tall. Oh, I mean, there's a difference between bigger than Philly. Anyone's taller than you, firstly. Um, and uh, then secondly, he's just a little bit light for me. Uh, he needs to bulk up a little bit so that he can, you know, he's got that confidence running into the tackle. Yeah, for sure. But I think Fassi definitely is the future of the fullback position in the country. Uh, a lot of competition there, but I think he is the front runner at the moment. And then also Friday night game, Bulls versus Ospreys. Bulls winning that one away from home, 38-31. Yeah, absolutely. Look, away from home and, you know, high scoring, relatively high scoring game. So both teams should look at their defense. But, you know, the Bulls, I felt, were always going to take it. You know, they've just shown enough consistency throughout the season that they weren't going to let the Ospreys get one over them. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And I mean, Hendricks, Cornell Hendricks putting in a good showing just before Springbok selection is announced. You know, he's someone that might be on the fringes there. So very, very good performance from him, scoring some good tries. But ultimately, I think we all predicted a Bulls win in this one. You know, the Welsh teams haven't been playing so well. So not much to say. And Bulls earning themselves a home quarterfinal, which is great. Saturday's games, you know, we saw the Stormers take on the Scarlets. Also a tight win for the Stormers there, 26-21. 26-21 in favour of the Stormers. Just so everybody knows, I picked that one right. So well done to me once again. Yeah, well, well done, Ronnie. You got one out of how many picks this weekend, correct? I got all of them right. I don't believe that, but unfortunately, I did not pull up the stats, so I can't contest that with you now. But yeah, uh, Ruan Nell scoring a try at the end of the game there to secure the win and the bonus point, putting Stormers um, up to second on the log, also securing them a home quarterfinal, and should they progress their home semifinal, which is great for the Cape franchise. You know, struggled the whole year with backroom issues, but it really doesn't look like that's coming to the fore on the field. They've had a stellar season this year. And then, you know, after comparing Cornell Hendricks and saying he's put in a good showing ahead of test selection, another one from Ivan Ruiz snapping up man of the match. I'm anticipating the Bach uh, squad to be announced next weekend. It's a bye weekend in the URC. And I think he did everything he could to put his hand up for selection. Look, we've, we've spoken about Ivan Ruiz, very promising. Um, I just want to go back there and redact what you said about Cornell Hendricks. He's not, he's not in cont- contention for Springbok. Okay, Ronnie. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I do I do give you the fact that he is heavily on the outskirts, but he has an outside chance. So not a bad time to put your hand up for, for that higher selection on us. And, you know, he has been there before. He has, and he's, look, he's playing a little bit well, but I don't know what the rules uh, say about someone with a heart condition or a previous heart condition playing for Springboks. Well, but, Beast uh, did it. World Cup winner. Well, his name was <laughs> isn't Beast for, for nothing. Um, so then, you know, another South African game, Lions v. Dragons. Can I just say, after last week's episode, both you and Carlo backed the Dragons. I backed the Lions. So I'm definitely taking the win there. And yes, it is recorded. So you can't debate that one, Ronnie. Uh, you also backed the Sharks to beat Ulster. So, wow. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're half an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, Lions... Bit of a strange selection choice for me, leaving Captain Berger Udendahl behind, saying they're looking to build towards next season, considering it is their last game. So it took a fairly young squad across. But some pretty classy finishing from the Lions. I thought they had a, a very good showing against the Dragons. And yeah, ultimately coming off with a 21-11 win. Thank yeah, you. but I think that's about it all from the URC for the moment. Interesting week, luckily a bye week now before the Heineken Cup comes in. And then back into the quarters, semis and finals of the URC to be played. The final is on 18 June, I think, eh, Ronald? I believe so. And it's uh, obviously very exciting. You know, I've been somebody who's been raving about this tournament for a couple of weeks now. And I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen. Yeah, me too. I'm definitely looking forward to it. All right. So now we've got uh, a Mr. Shane Wafer here. Mr. Shane Wafer is somebody that we've met once or twice before. He is a sports attorney. You know, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, a, I'm just a layman. I'm just a, an engineer. You're just a Ronnie. I'm just a Ronnie. <laughs> you know, you've, you're a director of your own firm. Is that right? And you specialize in uh, various sports related. I don't know. What's the word? <laughs> oh, thanks for that. Yes, yeah, so you were half right. Great introduction. Great attempt. So I appreciate that. So, uh, just for all the listeners' sake, we've been friends for a while. So thanks for calling me on here. Um, in my professional capacity, I am the co-founder and uh, managing director of uh, Javelin Sports Consulting, a boutique sports law firm. We specialize in all sorts of sports-related legal disputes, 
doping uh, amongst uh, some of our favorite types of cases we get. We do plenty of other work, including contracts, representing rugby players, um, other types of uh, sports involved, obviously, but uh, rugby being a uh, uh, a passion of all of ours so we uh, we do enjoy when we get uh, rugby related matters so thanks for having me on the pod so yeah. you took the law and sport to merge them and that's what you are today absolutely i mean everyone goes to varsity and uh, they'd love to combine their passion with what they do so we got some great advice uh, from some of our professors and uh, we decided to combine uh, our passion outside of the work-based uh, field and combine it with our with our with our work and uh, so uh, we uh, we basically do uh, what every young uh, young guy growing up in South Africa would love to do day-to-day rugby and sports is our job so yeah I think uh, that's a pretty pretty lack of profession to be involved in and just for those that are wondering this interview should have been two weeks ago but when someone asked if Ronnie and Shane would have an arm wrestle Ronnie asked for a bit of a break that he could hit the gym you know get prepped do some doping get ready for the match (laughs) and I can confirm for you that before recording this Ronnie did suffer a defeat like he does in Superbrew to Shane so sorry for that one Ronald yeah, unfortunately, I don't think Ronnie could have uh, trained hard enough to uh, uh, to beat me, um, even if we had given him six months. So. <laughs> but if I'd used steroids? No, not even then. You would have had to use a hell of a lot of steroids to, to win that. I see, okay. We brought an expert <laughs> in, so that's great. Yeah, well, I think we should delve right into sort of the, the flesh of why we've got Shane here. You know, on social media, we've seen a lot of people calling out South Africans for doping, especially now having joined the URC. You know, they're really getting a feel for the physicality of the South African game. And I think I've mentioned it before. I mean, if you were to go and sit at somewhere like Trademarks and watch the Uffies boys walk out of school, those 16-year-olds look like grown men already. They so look like really Uffies is, men, not Uffies. Yeah. So, I mean, it really, it's a thing in South Africa, especially amongst Afrikaner people, they're big, strong, they play rugby from a young age, and and that's how it comes. It's not necessarily doping, but to get into the depth of it, we thought we'd bring Shane on and and just have a look properly at what is actually going on in the sport. So, I mean, Shane, in, in the realm of doping, what are sort of considered the most common breaches in doping? or in rugby so with respect to rugby um, obviously we're looking at uh, performance enhancing drugs like the likes of anabolic steroids and uh, your more advanced type of steroids nice such as psalms which are selective androgen receptive modulators if anyone followed the uh, piwe janchi case you would have known uh, he was uh, tested positive for what's called lgd4033 sounds very scientific uh, but at the (laughs) end of the day trying to impress everybody (laughs) here with his knowledge and jargon uh, well, it is my day job after all, eh, Ronnie, so I should know what I'm talking about. But yeah, uh, it's a new type of drug. It's a selective androgen receptive modulator, like I said. it's Let's just say uh, for, for the layman, it's a more advanced type of, of, of steroid. It, it attaches directly to the to the androgen receptors and it, it's more, it goes along a lot further than, than, your, than your generic uh, anabolic steroid. We're seeing a lot of it uh, pop up, not only in, in rugby, but in other sports. So I'd say certainly the most commonly used doping uh, substance uh, in rugby would be your anabolic steroids or performance enhancing drug. But I mean, now using this sort of stuff, how much of an advantage does it give players? Is it really that beneficial to them to take it? Is it going to take someone from Curry Cup up to Springboks or Curry Cup up to URC? Absolutely. You cannot deny the benefits of anabolic steroids. And if if you pump... Uh, a young 21 year old full of steroids 
he could increase his weight by easily up to 15 to 20 kilograms. You'll pick oh, up, you'll pick up a massive amount of muscle mass. Um, and that's the most important thing. He's going to be picking up muscle with, with almost no fat gain and his, his strength gains are going to go through the roof. He's certainly going to be able to compete with the best in the world. Absolutely. I mean, you could probably go from 140 squat to 180 squat in three months, which is something that would take six months or more if you were doing it naturally. So the benefits of, of steroids uh, are certainly there. And, and that's the reason why we see we, we see people in, in all sports take it. It's because it actually works. You, know, you can't deny that for sure. Yeah, it's actually, it's interesting to see that because, I mean, you hear about it, but if you've not really been exposed to it, you don't know sort of how great the benefits to a person would be in terms of improved performance. Look, there's a fantastic stat that I always refer to. It's not rugby related, but if you look at the top 10 fastest running times in, for sprinters of all time, I believe um, I stand to be corrected, but eight of those runners who have the fastest uh, running times have all tested positive for, for banned substances before. So it just proves to you People take it and it works. Yeah, it's 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 clearly evident that guys are taking it with the cases that crop up. Obviously, some more high profile than others. Take a young Ronald, for example. You know, what's being done to prevent someone like him from using steroids or, uh, you know, what sort of education is given to players? Because as it stands, if I was listening to you right now, this sounds fantastic. I could be a springbok. Absolutely. And look, we have to go back. Obviously, taking steroids isn't your one-way ticket to becoming a springbok. You certainly need to have the base there. You can't never have gymmed before in your entire life and start to take steroids. And then all of a sudden, in six months, you'll be huge and you'll be in contention to be a springbok rugby right, player. Right. You just so, shattered Ronald's dreams. <laughs> Sorry, Ronald. No, but fair enough. But it's, a, it's an absolutely fair question because this, you know, I'm, I'm hearing I'm hearing what's all these great benefits. And I just want to understand what is the guidance that's being given to players out there? So in South Africa specifically, there's an institute, SEDS, I will, we'll call it SEDS. They're, they're mandated to carry out uh, doping controls and testing in South Africa on behalf of WADA, which is the World Anti-Doping Agency. So they provide uh, anti-doping education to the country, uh, to various sports. You know, there's a lot of uh, education that is done for, for, for rugby players and in the rugby sector because they do test a lot of rugby players. There's a lot of media attention on rugby. So generally speaking, uh, SEDS would conduct education seminars at schools. Uh, they'll do webinars. So SEDS is the body that will educate uh, rugby players. Look, to be honest, uh, when it comes down to budget constraints and all the little finer details, the, there's a lot of education that is done, but certainly there's a lot more that can be done. And, and not just SEDS, uh, when we look at them, um, we shouldn't put the, the buck shouldn't stop with them completely. We need to look at schools, we need to look at coaches, and we need to look at just the general rugby community in, in, as, as a greater as a whole um, should be more involved in, in educating our youngsters and, and not just our youngsters, but also a lot of professionals out there certainly could do with a little bit more anti-doping education specific to how do you deal with the case? How do you avoid getting yourself in a situation where you are, you're facing a doping ban? So there's, there's certainly more that can be done, but uh, SEDS uh, goes a long way to, to assist our athletes and our rugby players in, in getting educated. But I mean, okay, you look at school now, you want to educate school children. I remember being at school and then coming in there and doing talks on drugs and talks on safe sex and all of that. And it's all just these boring presentations that come up on the screen. 
no one's really listening and you know how do you how do you engage those youngsters i mean you say there's budgetary constraints and and you do you are right you need to target them at that age already you know is it better to be targeting the students themselves is it actually the coaches that you need to target is it the coaches exposing the youngsters to these substances? absolutely and that's a great question and that's where i said before we can't always uh, let the buck lie what said itself as the as the doping agency certainly sa rugby needs to come to the fore and they need to be putting doping uh at, at the forefront of their education when when, uh, when you're going to get your your world rugby level one coaching certificate there certainly should be more doping education done i for one have been involved in some um, education seminars and on the refing side of things and and often doping is sort of left to the end it's sort of a one paragraph on a whole spreadsheet uh, where, where they give attention to it there's there's more that needs to be done to help people understand the implications of doping doping itself uh, where, where it comes from how do we stop it and and not just something maybe we can discuss a little bit later. Not just doping itself, but in in the in, in the high in in high school and in 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 your early life as a young man, there certainly needs to be more education on the repercussions of taking anabolic steroids for your for your for your later life in the future. For me, on a personal level, being involved in doping, you, you see a lot of uh, cases where you've got young men that are at the peak of their natural testosterone levels, going through puberty looking to take steroids when they, they certainly don't need to. If they fix their diet, if they trained hard, you know, there's a lot that can be done naturally for sure. Uh, we could talk so much about, about diet. I mean, you guys know being involved in the, in, in, in the rugby landscape, uh, at club rugby level, at high school level, just coming out of high school level, we've got guys that are, you know, drinking liters and liters of Coca-Cola and eating fast food and smoking cigarettes at halftime breaks and stuff. Those are the sort of things that you should cut out if you want to increase your chances of, of bulking up and getting stronger and getting faster. You can't expect yourself to become a Springbok or, or a union player. If not you're, be disciplined. Yeah, absolutely. If you're drinking Coke full of sugar and if you're eating McDonald's on a night out or if you're going out and, and partying until 3 a.m. and then rocking up to practice at 8 a.m. expecting to be strong and fast. Those are the sort, the sort of things you should look at first before you jump into the into the sphere of let me take steroids to help me push myself uh, to the next level you hear that ronnie it's not an easy fix eh? it's not an easy fix <laughs> i mean obviously people are, are, are looking at short-term gains and yeah. short-term benefits as opposed to you know Absolutely. and ignoring That's the long term thing to do yeah and just ignoring the long-term harmful effects you know and we'll, we'll possibly circle around to that you know this knowledge is out there people understand that you know or should understand that it is harmful but you know how are we actually enforcing how are we how are we conducting our tests so this is quite an interesting question and we go back again to to budgetary constraints so said is a government-based organization and and they get funded by by the department of sport and by a national and national lottery grants that get provided to various government organizations so their budget is constrained there's only so many tests that can be conducted obviously we can't be testing at every single school in the country we just don't have be, the money for absolutely that. we can't be testing every single fnb classic clash yeah. match so, so so there obviously has to be um, attention focused on some of the bigger festivals some of the bigger tournaments and and again we have to look at said's mandate to to be testing they can't be testing at various school matches they have to be testing 
at uh, events where it's nationally organized by SARU and, and larger uh, um, matches where the school requests that they come out and test. It really does cost a lot of money to, to do a, a test. There's a lot of people involved. Um, there's, there's aspects of the, of the doping control chain that must be maintained. So it's not as easy as coming out and testing a thousand rugby players in one day. It doesn't work that way. You have to look at that and the greater picture. Certainly there are a lot of tests that do get done. 2020, 2021, COVID affected it great we had a, a much reduced uh, testing uh, schedule obviously we all know why but if we look at the year before uh, we have something to the effect of between 2,000 and 3,000 tests that get done over all sports um, in the country and, and as far as I'm aware something to the effect of about 400 maybe tests in, in, in for all rugby players in, in from from top from junior level all the way up um, throughout the year so there's a lot of tests that do get done obviously more so in the professional landscape less so in the in the school-based landscape. A lot of tests get done, a lot more can get done for sure, but uh, we just have to look at the budgetary constraints and, and how much can SEDS do with what they've got. But I mean, now talking about the testing, do these players know that they're going to get tested on X date, that they can get themselves clean, or is it surprise I'm here, pee in a cup sort of thing? Absolutely. So what actually occurs is it's generally kept a secret we don't want players knowing that they're going to be going to be tested so if there is a tournament or an event SEDS will be asked to come and what they'll do is they'll pull aside a certain amount of players at the end of a, of a match or during a tournament and they'll say okay we've selected five players to test now five the next day five the next day and they'll pull them aside at the end of the match generally random um, there's a lot of tip-offs that do occur so players are definitely tested if, if, if they are tipped off. And, and often when there is a tip off, uh, it's for a reason. And that player will generally come back testing positive. So we have to break up the, the testing into school-based testing and, and professional. So professionals obviously get tested ahead of a lot more. And, and generally speaking, they won't really know if, they, if they're going to get tested. They should expect to get tested throughout the season and outside of uh, the season. We'll talk about in and out of competition. School-based level is a little bit different. You know, back in 2012, I think they started a school-based program where schools would be required to take a little bit of the brunt of that and they would have their own testing and doping schedules they would test kids them being minors SEDS would leave the sanction to the school so we might see a player getting banned for six months instead of the four years if he tests positive you know to help him learn and educate him because he's and a kid absolutely yeah. so we have to look at we have to look at them being minors and and the discussion around does that kid take uh, a substance in isolation Generally speaking, no, there's always a coach or a mentor or someone involved in pushing it. Parents are certainly access to that. Absolutely. So uh, we, when we look at the SEDS results at the end of the year, we see we often see minors, but then their names are redacted and the details are redacted because they are minors. So we don't get a lot of information on that. And schools can test themselves as well uh, in terms of their, you mentioned that their own drug testing policies. Um, we taught that in LO in, in South Africa. <laughs> yeah, life in. orientation. There we go. Uh, so what to do and what not to do when uh, when taking drugs and, and the old marijuana and cocaine and all these other tests. So, so that can be done if the parent gives consent and then we leave it to the school to work with SEDS about how to sanction that player and to educate him going forward. And I mean, is it a pee in the cup test? Is it blood drawn, hair so test? What we, is we what? look at two types. So generally speaking, the most common types of tests are, are, are urine tests. 
and then we get blood tests. But uh, we look at for rugby players, you know, in, in, in high school level, it would generally be urine tests. And for the more senior players, what we tend to do now is, is we'll do a urine test and sometimes we'll do a blood test together. Obviously, blood tests, again, far more expensive uh, to do, yeah. a lot more onerous, a lot more time taken. So urine analysis is the most common form. I mean... Now I'm throwing back, I'm not going to say how far because I don't want everyone to know how long I've been out of school for. But I mean, I remember kids cheating, pee in the cup tests in school very easily, either asking your mate to piss in a cup that you take into the bathroom with you or, you know, many creative ways of doing that. So how how is that? enforce now you know how did they prevent players cheating the system now just before you say that i clearly grew up in the sticks because i don't remember any pee in the cup tests that uh, we had to try and fake <laughs> well uh, i'll confirm what nick says because i remember standing in the line at school once and some guy whispering behind my ear hey bro uh, can you please pee in a cup for me so it did it certainly does happen and uh, again we have to look at uh, the difference between a more professional testing landscape and at school so at school certainly something like that could happen because if we leave SEDS out of the question and it's the school specifically doing the testing there isn't as much of a, um, a chain of command a chain of custody there aren't people being witnessed all the time and so there's this room for, for for wiggle there on the professional landscape I think it becomes far more difficult and something which I wouldn't say happens far, uh, too often we've got uh, a doping control officer that will be there and they'll witness you urinating they'll follow you into the bathroom and they'll stand there while you're standing by the urinal and they'll watch your every move so uh, it's not something that would be very easy i do believe uh, i'm not sure the name in details but there was an incidence where a, a player i'm not sure if it was in the rugby landscape but had one of those sort of like fake, uh, fake is, nozzles uh, and and that they yeah. tried to get away with it they may or may not have done that but uh, it's also something that comes, you know, privacy comes into the question, how close can someone get to watching you urinate? Can you go into a cubicle? Generally speaking, no, you would have to leave the door open. So it's not something that's time. very easy to, 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 to do. I think this is the only time it's not weird when the guy at the urinal next year is looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, at the mines, when they used to work at the mines, they we would go into what was essentially a cubicle, but they would search your body before you went in yeah. and making sure that you didn't have some... Uh, some hidden pee uh, in, a, in a bag somewhere. Yeah. And um, there was a tiny little window that they would look through. Yeah. Um, just and it's sure. something which we look at as attorneys for the players. We look at the chain of command very, very closely when we look at it. So did they follow all the requirements in terms of the rules? Was the player notified properly? Did they follow correctly? So there's all sorts of rules. Like generally speaking, you shouldn't pee directly after a match. It should be your first urination. That should, should be um, what is tested. Uh, there's all sorts of things like the time, the timeline between after your, the end of the game, what you do between that match. They follow you. They provide you with the rules and they dictate to you, okay, you must hold the cup. You need to be the one that seals the Loctite um, container. We can't do that for you. So we look at all those things when we're representing a player and say, okay, look, the player didn't seal the cup. Is that a potential for some contaminants to have fallen in the cup from the doping control officer who sealed the cup? Uh, there was a case in athletics where some sweat dropped into the urine sample and that resulted in a, in a, in a, false, a positive. False positive. Uh, essentially a false positive, but it ended up being a positive, which had to be argued. Uh, for anyone's information in doping, it's the exact opposite sort of, of normal criminal it's not innocent until proven guilty it's guilty until proven innocent you're basically handed a sanction off the back of the positive
positive result. And then you must argue down, did you have intention? Did you have negligence? Can we reduce the sanction? So it's very accusatory doping. You're deemed guilty until you can prove yourself innocent otherwise. So is that is guilty until proven innocent? Is that because it's South Africa or is that actually the, the policy of WADA? Yeah, so that's a water policy. It's, we call it strict liability. It's a no-fault sanction. So what that means is you don't have to be at fault specifically or have done anything wrong intentionally to be found guilty. So we find that in contamination cases, for example. So if you take a supplement, and to all the listeners out there that have people playing rugby in their family and uh, kids, be very wary of supplements. If you take a supplement you are opening yourself up to a risk of being uh, uh, for, for it being contaminated and you testing positive. You don't have had to have done anything wrong when taking a supplement. We've had cases where you go to the safe section of a pharmacy and you buy safe, already tested supplements that have been tested by the manufacturer that still result in positives. And as a result, you have to argue, where did that come from? Where did you buy it? You have to go and spend money to test that supplement, go and check batch numbers. And, and at the end of the day, even if all of that has been done and it's been found that you didn't do anything wrong, you took a safe supplement, you might still result, uh, it might still result in a six to eight month sanction, which could mean a lot to a, to a young guy coming up and trying to make it in, in, in the industry. You've done nothing wrong, but you've still handed an eight month sanction. Well, yeah, I mean, so talking about all this testing, you did briefly mention then in and out of season testing, you know, what is the difference there? Is it more intense or, you know, how, how does that all function? So, so we have to look at then the types of substances in and out of competition. There will be some substances that are banned in and not banned out of competition. We talked about the most common substance and anabolic steroid will be banned at all times in and out of competition. So uh, we won't really look at that. For example, we'll look at, you know, your more uh, substances of abuse, like your marijuana and cocaine and amphetamines. Uh, if, if those are consumed outside of competition, it's, it's alternate. Uh, the sanction will be alternative if it was co consumed in competition so those are the 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 um some of the the more details with, with respect to that but rugby related generally speaking we're looking at anabolic steroids peds they'll be banned at all times so so uh, don't think you can uh, get away with it out of competition again as a professional rugby player if you're on the on on, on the uh whereabouts list you you can be tested at any time seds can rock up at your door or usada can rock up at your door at any time 10 o'clock at the night uh, at night and knock on your door and say hey we want to test test you maybe not 10 o'clock you, you generally speaking would give them times when you're available but uh, they can rock up whenever they want 6 a.m they'll knock on your door and say listen we're going to test you now and and you, well, that's you done, have to comply that's the, that's done purposefully you know they don't want to they don't want to give you time to prepare absolutely uh, they don't want you to carry around a fake bladder yeah <laughs> for seven yeah. seven days a week you know and we've got we've got something which which has come to the fore lately and we see this a lot is it's, it's what you call micro dosing so players look players and coaches and, and advisors they're not stupid they're very very smart oftentimes look look we have uh, lance armstrong type competitors they're way ahead of these doping control agencies who are very smart in their own right yeah. so they'll micro dose so they'll inject or they'll consume small amounts of the substance over a long period of time sticking uh, making sure that the levels never increase above the, the minimum level that would be detected. Detection levels are something which people look at a lot. Mm. Ten years ago, the detection levels of certain substances were, were quite, quite low, so people would be able to get away with it. Nowadays, you could probably find a drop of a banned substance in, in, a, in, a, in a hay bale the size of a rugby field. So uh, the detection fields are quite... <laughs> great great uh, analogy. They, 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 they've, 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 the, the science has, has advanced a lot, so it's a lot more difficult. But 
but uh, don't get me wrong. I certainly believe in my experience that there's a lot of people out there that are getting away with microdosing because they have the technology available to them and, and they're smart about it. So And frequency of testing in and out of competition, not much change there, or is it more frequent in competition? I would say it's it's certainly more frequent uh, in competition. Uh, we've got uh, that when, when SEDS would rock up at, at a tournament and they test, but uh, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of tests that are done uh, out of competition too. Uh, like I said before, when we have tip-offs, um, that happens a lot when we have out of competition testing. And every single year, the budget increases and we try to advance uh, anti-doping. So we'll find that there's more and more testing. I believe I looked at the 2020 annual report for USADA. They did over 4,500 tests uh, in, in one year across all sports. So whilst that might sound a lot, uh, you know, there's a lot more that can, be, can done. be done and there's a lot of people that can get away with it but uh, how can we test everyone we can't uh, have every single athlete in the world tested at all times we don't have the budget for no. that so, so there will be people that will get away with it unfortunately but uh, their time will come generally speaking they, they, they they'll get uh, they'll get caught out someone will will whistle blow or look at lance armstrong he never tested positive he, he didn't. Have you ever, that, that that famous question he asked? No, he never did. He was outed by the community. He, uh, a tipple for whistleblower caused that whole, that firestorm. You know, if, yeah. if, if that whistleblower didn't come forward, you know, Lance Armstrong could have got away with it. So You mentioned there the whereabouts list. I've heard of that before. I, it's my understanding that players of a certain level in competitions have to inform, is it wider? where they are at all times is that how it's so your your senior national level players will be in a testing pool absolutely they'll be told they must provide their whereabouts information from eight o'clock until five o'clock every day and um, they get added to the pool They're, the the obligation and the burden on them is much increased if, if sets tests them you know they they uh they should know for example they should all know about the rules, they, they get educated a lot more often. And, and like I said, if, 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 uh, um, if an athlete gets tested uh, and they're part of the registered testing pool, um, you should expect them to know exactly how the process goes, exactly yes. what they can and cannot do. You'll see our spring box are generally speaking all in the registered testing pool. They, they all can be tested at any time of the day um, and they must provide all their information. You'll find there's, there's some athletics cases in, in the USA where um, you can actually suffer sanctions for not providing your whereabouts at the correct uh, time and date, <laughs> not updating, simply not updating your times for, for testing can result in a sanction against you. That sounds like having a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> how, how updated does that need to be? Does it, for example, we need to say I'm in Pretoria or does it have to be I'm at this address in Pretoria, I'll be here from... It's extremely detailed. So you need to provide where you'll be at exact times of the day, your specific address for testing, if you move or if you're at a friend's house at certain times of the day. So SEDS will rock up at your door and they'll knock and they'll say, okay, you said you would be here between eight and five, you're not here. They'll phone you. And if you're not there and you're at your girlfriend's house, they'll say, okay, I want you to come here now, right now, we need to test you. You must be here and the next will wait an hour. If you're not there... It could result in a sanction that follows. They'll give you some leeway, but generally speaking, I'm not entirely sure. I should probably know the name, but uh, it slips my mind now um, of the athletics, uh, American athletics uh, runner that uh, was out at the shops when, when, when you started rocked up uh, at the door and uh, they phoned him. He didn't answer. And, and that resulted in a whereabouts failure for him. You know, there was there was a huge case that followed and, and arguments were made about whether or not it was fair. I mean, I think ultimately he, he, he uh, 
uh, it resulted in him. It, they found out that it wasn't fair what, what happened to him at the time. But uh, yeah, if you're at the shops and you should be at home and Seds rocks up, you better get home very quickly. Yeah, that's actually eye-opening for me, Heather. I don't think you you expect as a bystander like we are to for players to be that intensely watched and and that much under the spotlight, hey, Ronnie? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a young Nicholas has decided he wants to dope and uh, he would like his uh, a chance of getting into uh, Springbok rugby. So, and he tests positive after urine test. What's the procedure? So what will happen is, is you'll get notified. You'll get sent a, a, a notice of allegation by SEDS. They'll have found something in your, in your, in your A sample. So generally speaking, when you get tested, you'll, you'll pee into a cup and they'll split the cup into two samples, A and B. The one sample will go to the laboratory and the B sample will go and it will be frozen. Um, it'll be kept as a, as a backup for that A sample. So you'll get notified. Okay, you've tested positive. This is the substance we found in your system. And we'll say, okay, you have the, the option now of getting your B sample, which is frozen tested, to confirm it was the A sample positive is correct. And you'll be given the opportunity to present okay. uh, your case. Why, why, why is this found in your sample? What's going on? Uh, various steps will be taken. You, you must then you'll be presented the opportunity to buy the laboratory document report, which is, you know, to the effect of like 5,000 Rand. I mean, in American dollars, guys, that's like 300, $400 or something to that effect uh, for a young guy that uh, it ends up being quite a lot of money to go through the laboratory documentation to find out, for example, we touched was the chain of command followed all those sorts of things. Uh, you'll be given that opportunity to respond. Um, and they after based on that response, whether or not you admit it or not, or you want to take the matter to a hearing or you want to settle the case, they'll physically charge you with an anti-doping rule violation. And we go forward from there. Then uh, we should look to, you know, generally speaking, appoint an attorney or a specialist and, and try and provide a, an explanation and argue whether or not you want to reduce sanction or was there intention or negligence involved and we'll go from there. So, I mean, is it a formal hearing that then takes place, like sort of court proceedings or is it less formal, more exchange of documents and, and then someone... So, so the hearing comes towards the end of the, the, end of the initial phase uh, and it'll be more akin to an arbitration. So it is very accusatory and, and it's a sort of 50-50 criminal civil procedure, closely aligned to criminal type because procedure it's cheating. where you're accused. Confident is cheating. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the spirit of sport is, is being affected. And then that's what WADA's main mandate is. is um, has the spirit of sport been affected? Have you looked to enhance your performance and cheat amongst yeah. your competitors? Yeah. Um, that is what we look at first. So we start off with, a, generally speaking, a four-year sanction for any doping rule violation. And the first reduction we look at is intention, which drops from four to two years. So was an athlete, did he intentionally take the substance to better himself and to, for, to enhance his performance uh, amongst his competitors and to gain a performance enhancement? That'll be the first assessment we make. So you've mentioned the sanctions. Are there various types of sanctions or is it four years bang on the dot, then you argue for less? Does it, is it more, you know, how does that function? Yeah, exactly that. Because you keep mentioning uh, the number four, but uh, can you get sanctioned for more? No. Well, you can actually. We look at your Chili Boy Ralapello case. Very, very multiple. If, um, if you if you yeah. test it positive again, you can get up to double the a maximum sanction, which is eight years. And you can certainly be banned for life. Life is a lifetime, lifetime ban is a sanction. So when we look at sanctions, we must separate the type of substance which has been which has been found in your substance. We've got what we call non-specified substances and specified substances. A bit of a confusing name, but 
generally speaking, we must just say non-specified substances are your more serious substances, specified less serious, which wouldn't necessarily be considered performance enhancement. Non-specified, we're looking at what your steroids, specified substances, maybe we'll look at stimulants and other sorts of... Uh, cortisone in your asthma pump. No, well, cortisone will, will be considered a, a non-specified. Right. We're, we're looking at, uh, you know, for example, when you come, when you come to gaming, like uh, stimulants uh, and, and other... Uh, non-serious types of drugs uh, that you would take that wouldn't generally be considered you taking them for performance enhancement. Cortisone certainly would provide more uh, performance enhancement uh, in the short benefits. Term. So, I mean, a player tests positive, for example, and they found guilty. What is the minimum of sentence a player like that could expect? Is four years the starting point? So, so generally, four years would be the would be the starting point. And and as I said, when we have non-specified substances, your the burden is on you to prove that there's no intention. So we start at four, and you must argue down to two. When we've got specified substances, the burden is on the anti-doping agency to prove that there was intention. So the burden, um, Nicholas, you'll see that it's the burden of proof shifts to the anti-doping agency to prove intention. Normally, we will look at non-specified four years, and if the anti-doping agency for specified can't prove intention, we'll start at two. So those are sort of the sort of the baseline sanctions we look at. That's intention from the, from the legal side of things. Nick, you understand that then we go from intention to we'll go to fault. So once we've got our two year or not, if you can't prove uh, if you can't prove that there was no intention, you're going to get your four years. But once we hit that two-year barrier, we start arguing fault. So did you have any significant fault in it? Was there no fault on your part? We look at fault and negligence to drop to, to uh, a reprimand or a minimum sanction. And I mean, this might be a poor example, but just to understand, does it vary among sports? Because I mean, a rugby player smoking weed before a game is not going to perform very well on the field. But someone playing well, in well a, an Xbox well tournament smoking weed is probably going to do pretty well so absolutely you know is there differentiation on the types of drugs in the specific sport so we don't look at the differentiation between sports we certainly look at the type of substance so i'm um, interesting you mentioned uh, marijuana and cocaine and methamphetamines these stimulant based substances the new regime 10 years ago, it was completely different. Nowadays, they're called substances of abuse. So if it's found that you took that substance out of competition and it has no performance enhancement, the sanction range changes completely. So we talked about four years and two years, but substances of abuse, if you're found tested positive for, for cocaine, we see this in football a lot because a lot of football players would go out to the club and take cocaine the night before test positive, face a sanction of four years. People argue that that wasn't so fair because did it really give you a performance enhancement? So with substances of abuse, we have a three-month sanction period, which is there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through, of course, to, to, to get there. And if you submit yourself to uh, education or, or rehab, with respect to that substance of abuse, we can drop that sanction to one month. So if a rugby player goes out at, at night and smokes weed and gets tested positive um, the next day, or something to that effect, or in competition, if it's taken out of competition, we can look at a sanction of between one month and three months, depending on, on how, how much effect it had and whether or not he wants to submit himself to, to rehab or to that effect. That's actually quite interesting. So that it is sort of broad stroke across all sports. But I mean, now, I think the main reason that we, we're having this discussion is to, to see this in the South African landscape and in the scope of the South African game. So, you know, how prevalent is doping in SA rugby in your experience so far? Is it, are we better off than other countries in terms of the fact that we do less doping? 
or you know is it pretty much the same across the board look we have to go back to our initial discussion where we talked about testing so south africa uh, as a whole we don't test as much as a, a big organization like usada or in europe for example the uk anti-doping because the budgets are completely different so we can only test as much as we uh, as the budget we're given generally speaking i, I would say uh, there isn't any specific country where doping is more prevalent than others. You could look at maybe a couple more players in South Africa testing positive uh, in rugby. But then if you look at the USA, you've got multiple um, cases uh, of track and field and athletics athletes that are testing positive. So can you say that there's a doping problem in, in the States in, 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 in athletics, but we don't really hear that as much. You don't really push that. I think maybe I'm a little bit biased, but we have a lot of people that push the narrative that South Africa, uh, everyone dopes in South Africa and it's a huge problem because of our success. Everyone looks for a bit of an excuse. And you mentioned yeah. it earlier, Nick, you have to look at the genetics uh, of the Afrikaner population and not just the Afrikaner, the English guys as well in South Africa. Guys, we have incredible genetics in our youth rugby players. We, we, we go to an Uffies game or a grade game. Not all the players on the team are on drugs. Some, maybe two or three of them in a, in a rugby squad might nice. test positive. Mm. But we've got your burly Etzebets and your big boys like Archeus Neymar. Those guys don't take drugs, man. Those guys just throw hay bales and over naturally. their shoulders. Yeah, well, that's naturally. exactly They work like on the farm on the weekends. And they're, they're yeah. naturally just massive, massive well, we've got, human beings. So that doesn't mean that they're We've dope. got great weather in South Africa. And from a young age, you're outside, you're in the sun, you like you say, you're, you're helping your father on the farm, you know, throwing hay bales. Because, uh, generally speaking, uh, young guys in South African rugby, I mean, uh, six foot and, and 120 kilograms is something we see all the time. It, it's not something that's like outside uh, in the States and in the UK, guys are like, no, there's no way your kid has to be like 60 to 80 kilograms and he can't be above six foot when he's 16, 17, 18. You have to look at the genetics uh, of, of the of population. The population. Mm. We, we, we generally have really, really good genetics. Genetics in, in our young guys and our rugby players. So no, we don't, I think, have a, a, a ridiculous, like we have to shine the spotlight on South Africa rugby doping problem. Yes, we've got dopers in our, in, in our sport, but we, we, we really do have it across the landscape all over the world. If you want to shine a spotlight on someone, shine it on Russia. They have a doping problem, state-sponsored doping, something where the KGB cuts holes in walls and takes samples out. That's, that's when you get serious. So in South Africa, we certainly... Look, we can't uh, we can't try and take the spotlight off us for sure. We we must look at, at doping. We've got young guys that 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 get tested positive where they shouldn't. We should look at that more. But I wouldn't say. But no more than any other country. No more than may, maybe a couple more, a couple percentile points more. But it's not something like that. But we that's also have that so many more players. We have a lot more rugby players uh, in club in union. We've, we've got some of the biggest club numbers in the world. Rugby is our biggest sport. So obviously there's going to be a spotlight shone on our players. And obviously there's going to be a lot more players that want to get involved in it because they want to make the Springbok level. They want to be a union player. You know what rugby like. is a religion it's here. It's a religion here. People bleed green and gold. People will do anything to play rugby for the Springboks. So we're going to get guys that are going to try and chipper the system. Look, I, I think we have to go back to the schools and we have to look at uh, some of the, um, the influence Influences we have on players, it isn't the players at that age that are saying, hmm, let me let me 
me let me start taking anabolic steroids because I want to get big. There's always an influence in the back of their ear. There's always a coach saying you're too small, you're too slow, or there's a parent that wants their kid to become a springbok pushing this narrative. We'll do it right, we'll do that. So I really think we must look at when it comes to minors, at least we must look at the influence around them and not so much on on, on the, the player, on the player itself. itself. But look, I mean, anyone listening to this will say, oh, yeah, three South African guys, of course, they're going to take uh, push the buck off, off South Africans. Mm. We, we, we do have an issue with, with some of our senior players. We've seen them. We've got the likes of Janchi, Chili Boy, Hendre Stassen, Gebron Frobla that are all testing positive for these things. But you have to look at each case in isolation. We've represented rugby players where it, it generally really isn't their fault for what happens. Contamination, Contamination takes place. Contamination happens a lot. We've got mistakes in laboratories that happen. We have inextricable, inextricable cases where you can't actually look at a case and say, this is the one specific cause for it. Could have happened. There's multiple different things that, that could have happened. So the, the case where a guy is guilty of intentionally taking anabolic steroids to enhance his performance, those are few and far between. There's always a lot of other things that come into it. I mean, it's sad, really, because some of these players, like you say, could you know be found guilty of, of whatever, but it really was not their fault. And they get labeled with that yeah, uh, you know, as, a, as a doper for the rest of their life. And, and as an sad. athlete representative, that's that's something which, which, which I, I bemoan. I don't enjoy that. That, that player who tests positive on the back of uh, um, contamination gets labeled for the rest of his life as a doper. That's something which which isn't fair. People looking out in often have all these comments, you know, we've got your, your little chirpers, oh, blah, 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 mm. but they don't have any understanding of the doping landscape. So they don't know why and how that player got there. But look, sometimes it's fairly obvious. Look, you have to look at your chili boy type cases. Anyone Repeat that cases. tested positive three times, you have to shine the spotlight a little bit uh, harder on why that guy tested positive three times. If you've tested positive once, there could be a benefit of a doubt, but three yeah. times, yeah, maybe you may, you may start questioning what's going on. There. So, I mean, speaking of Chili Boy, it's well documented what he did. The Sharks gave him a chance to revive his career, came down to Durban, even actually making his way back into the Springbok fold from that, and then he did it again. So, look, we so, just, if, if Chili Boy, if you're listening to this, uh, the first time you got tested positive, we know why. So, what actually happened there is SA Rugby provided supplements to the players, and those supplements ended up being the problem, and it wasn't his fault the next time i believe there was also an explanation for the second time third time we don't really know what happened there that might have been more intentional so unfortunately that first occasion sort of opened the door people sort of started questioning him and ultimately it resulted in in a, in a greater sanction because it was three times but that first time people need to know that wasn't his fault that first time he got test positive that was on the supplement man and, and sa rugby and you'll see that's why he obviously was still allowed to play after that because guys you have to look at it, it's not always these rugby players' fault. We've got situations we've got we've represented young rugby players that go over to Europe, 20, 21 years old. Guys, they're getting paid 200, 300,000 euros a year. They're in the spotlight. They're playing in Stade Francais and they're playing Racing Metro. They're playing against these huge crowds. And all of a sudden you get injured and your coach or your SNC comes to you and say, listen, take this. I'm going to inject you with this. Trust me, don't worry about it. We'll sort you out if anything happens. You need to play in the next game. Otherwise, we're going to send you home. And but all these, this young guy can't be expected to take on this burden of all of this pressure and deal with it on his own. So if a coach comes up to him and said, listen, 
listen, take this tablet or we're going to inject you with that or trust me, this will fix you. But generally speaking, guys, the player is going to listen to his coach. Yeah. Coach tells you to do something in rugby, you know, Nick, you bloody well do it or the coach is going to make you run the field or he's going to leave you out for the next three games. So you don't want to sacrifice all that hard work. And, I suppose and, there's and, a, a relationship between player and coach as well that has to be built on a sense of mutual trust otherwise. Certainly. What are you doing at the club in the first place? And, and you have to look at language barriers. I mean, you've got a South African guy going overseas to France and the doctor can barely speak English. And they're like, no, 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 don't worry. Injection, all good. You don't really know what's in that je- injection. You don't really question these things. How can you be the person? If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm going to give you this to make better, to make you better. Do you generally do you question, question them? Yeah. No, because they're a doctor. They're a medical expert. They're supposed to know more than you. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's interesting. But I mean, then we look at a period, Yanti. It's talk of him linking up with the Sharks next year when his van finishes. He is allowed to train with the side for six months before his return. So we have to actually stop that. So there's proliferation of this in the media that uh, Janji can come back six months before. That's a mistake. Whoever wrote that article, I commented on on Twitter on that person and asked that person where he got the information. That's incorrect. I've got a lot of players that have messaging me (laughs) saying, oh, how can Janji come back six months before? But I don't. So the rule states that it's a quarter of whatever your sanction is or two months, whatever is the lesser. So Janchi can Uh, only come back two months. He can only start training two months before the end of his sanction. Janchi, if you're listening to this, don't listen to anyone that tells you you can train six months before. You're going to get busted and you're not going to enjoy it. Two months before the end of your sanction, you can start training. If there's any doubt, guys, email SEDS, email USADA, email your anti-doping agency and find out. Get a specific date in writing for when you can come back. We've got problems with this. See, we've got media guys and, and, and journalists that uh, just listen to whatever they're told by an agent or something that doesn't inspect the rules properly. Guys, be careful. Read the rules yourself. Make sure you know what you're doing on your own because SEDS doesn't care if someone told you and you listen to them and believe them. That argument goes away. The Sharapova case, she she tried to blame her coaches. Guys, it's not going to work that way. You need to read the rules. The buck stops with you. So don't just listen to what people say blatantly. Don't just read a news article and believe what it says. So, I mean, Ronnie and I are pretty skeptical about Yanti potentially being given a chance at the Sharks. I think the whole Chili Boy saga sort of plays into that. But I mean, in your experience, the players that test positive once and come back, do they generally change their behavior or are there a lot of repeat offenders? Absolutely. So I, I think when, when when you've gone through what he's gone through, that player will never, ever, ever test positive again. So we have to look at, you know, Janchi himself. Guys, let's let's cast ourselves back to, what was it, just pre-2019 World yeah, Cup? Janchi yeah. was considered the best winger in world rugby. We all loved him. We all thought he was going to have a job. Yeah. Nomu type rugby world cup he was going to score eight tries two tries against record. the all blacks to, to he was to an incredible yeah. incredible player so i think that uh, what happened to him i don't want to get involved in the speculation of what happened to him he got injured before the world cup does that have something to do with why he tested positive we don't know the argument is that he took one of his friend's supplements is it believable we don't really know we shouldn't comment on these things unless we have all the facts otherwise we're going to open a can of worms but guys Janchi was one of the best rugby players in South Africa and in the world at the time let's give him the benefit of the doubt he was young when he comes back now let's not cast him as being this doper and this bad player and this bad human being let's allow him to come back fresh let's see what he's made 
Vieira. Let's see what he's done in the last few years. I think that there's still room for him to continue to be one of the best rugby players in the world. And let's see. Maybe he proves all of us wrong. He comes back stronger, better, faster. He assists in, in anti-doping education. He helps players and he tells them that you don't want to go through what I've gone through over the last few years. It must be hell. I feel bad for these guys, man. That four years you spend, people casting you out um, of the industry. Labeling you as a doper for the rest of your life. Dope, but they don't know. It really is emotionally. It, it really hurts these rugby players. It's their life that's got taken away from them. Um, you know, you have to spend four years doing things you don't want to be doing because you want to be playing rugby. So I really feel for these guys. And I want, when they come back, I want the community and I want people in general to give them a chance and to allow them to prove us wrong. If he tests positive again or does something funny, cool, cast him out. Then he's a doper, he's a cheater. But when he comes back now, let's start fresh. Let's give the guy a chance. Let him regain his status and go on to be what he, I think, ultimately always should have been for us. Yeah, well, I think what's what I take from this interview is that, you know, a one or a blanket approach to the situation is not going to work. Like you said, each player must be treated individually on the circumstances. Yeah. Player dopes once, give him the benefit of the doubt, let him come back. Let's see if he's rehabilitated, if he's going to contribute to the game, like you said, you know, in the education of it. But I think most tellingly is it's not worth it. It is simply not worth it to take these risks to climb to the top level because you might get there but then your life might fall apart from the second you're at the top because the doping intensifies and it's really really just not worth it absolutely and i think i do take confidence that our doping situation is not markedly different from anywhere else in the world no no it really isn't guys uh so you know don't believe what you always read and see and hear do your own research and go and look at it a bit more in depth doping is a problem in sports in general not specifically rugby and not specifically in south africa so um, you can you can open this can of worms and we can definitely get uh, you know under a microscope and look at all the different sports in various different countries and we'll find things that we don't like. Uh, just as a bit of a closing, you mentioned it, Nick, there. Um, rugby players listening, parents, coaches, anyone in, in the industry, guys, doping is not the solution to anything. You need to go back to the basics when you're looking at a young rugby player coming up. Like I said, they're going through puberty. They've got a hell of a lot of testosterone in their body. Their metabolisms are through the roof, guys. We know what it was like back in Varsity in high school. You can eat 50 McDonald's burgers and you're not going to, you're probably going to lose weight the next day. So let's look at diet. Let's look at training. Let's go back to the basics. Let's make sure that kids and young rugby players are eating their vegetables. I mean, now it sounds so ridiculous for me to be having this conversation. It's so simple, really. So simple. Eat well. Don't drink sugary filled Coke before you jump on a rugby player that's going to cause you to crash at half time don't eat caffeine chewing gum and don't don't overburden your body with all these stimulants and chemicals and pre-workouts that are going to you know give you um heart palpitations when you're a little bit older or reduce your your testosterone levels let's eat healthy let's train properly let's do things the right way go to a strength and conditioning coach have him schedule you workouts and and eat well sleep well guys sleep is a huge part of it don't go out jawling the night before a big game Look after yourself. If you really want to become a professional rugby player, commit your life to it. Make everything about your life dedicated to getting better. Don't don't take the easy way out. I know it, it sounds um, nice and it sounds fun. We have to look at your whole DAC for VAC, guys, which is in, <laughs> in South Africa at the end of your, uh, your uh, high break. school. Yeah, you go out, your spring break. You want to get ripped. You want to have a six pack. You want to good, look good for the ladies. You know, you can achieve that without taking steroids. I probably sound like an old man. You guys are like, no, shut up, man. We'll take our steroids <laughs> if we want. 
life, but it's not worth it. You can get there without steroids. And, and if you want to play rugby or be DAC for VAC, choose which one, guys. You, you can't have both. You know, if you get tested positive, uh, once you're not a minor, you're going you're gonna to sit with a four-year ban. Um, it's so going to be a lot more a severe than what absolutely. you would think. So, so there's a way out of it, guys. You know, in closing, like I said, if you want to become a professional rugby player, commit your life to it and do it the right way because ultimately you'll become your, your Skulk Britzes and your Mornay Stains where you can play until you're 40 years old if you do it the right way. If you're taking steroids at a young age, you're covered in muscle and you're always injuring yourself. And we have to look at that. You've got joint issues and all these other problems that come. You're going to have a shortened, reduced career. You're going to be retired before you're 30. You're not going to have an enjoyable time about it. You're always going to be injured and suffering and in the doctors and going to chiropractors and physios. So just do it the right way and you'll extend your career and you'll never have to deal with the, the anti-doping system, which isn't fun if you're involved. And I think the moral of the story do it the front stain way have a lack of steak before kickoff absolutely and a beer with the fans in the stand absolutely. afterwards that's absolutely. the winning absolutely. <laughs> thanks for that Shane it's been really really enlightening to have you on and I hope you'll actually stick around a bit we just want to have a chat about the the URC log and then I'm quite keen to see if you can help uh, Ronnie with Saturday absolutely and thanks for having us on guys you know there's there's a lot that needs to be done on the education side of things you guys are pushing it uh, on this podcast which is great to see and yeah uh, let's uh, let's have a little bit of a chat all right. Well, as Ronnie mentioned, you know, the URC regular season is wrapped up. We're now heading towards the business end to the playoffs. Uh, Leinster finishing first on the log, as we all expected them to. You know, they've been pretty clear there and they did get the win over Munster at the weekend. This weekend coming, I think, or not this weekend, actually, is a Gap or Champions Cup. And then the quarterfinals will take place. First up will be Leinster hosting eighth placed uh, Warriors on the log. You know, what are you guys thinking for that one? I'm sort of seeing a Leinster. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's pretty much uh, done dusted. You know, it's it's number it's number one versus number eight. So Leinster should come to be take that one. Yeah, one of your quarterfinal issues always first foot be eighth. I don't know if you could ever uh, <laughs> David versus Goliath situation. So I actually feel like that might benefit Leinster. They might race their team for that one so, after the Champions Cup final yeah. before picking it up for the semis. And then second quarterfinal, we'll see Stormers hosted and they did win the South African Shield much to Ronnie's demise uh, you know they'll be playing host to Edinburgh from seventh place what are your guys predictions for that one I think uh, any any team coming down to play in South Africa is, is going to struggle it is at sea level so we don't have the benefit of altitude but I think uh, Stormers should squeeze it by probably something to the effect of three or seven points it'll be a close game I agree with that yeah and then Ulster Ulster beating the Sharks this weekend they will be playing host to Munster so Irish quarterfinal there yeah all Irish affair but I think Munster's going to take this one it's going to be a close game for sure but I I think I'd back I'd back Munster to take it as well yeah Munster had a couple of injuries for their game against Lentis I think squad back to full strength the likes of Dialende back in there uh, I also think Munster's going to take that one and then luckily just down the road from us I will definitely be going to that uh, final Bills playing host to the Sharks here at Loftus yeah for sure I think this will probably be the closest game out of all of the four big old South African derby Bulls versus Sharks, you know, we've had a plenty of Curry Cup finals uh, be these two. I, I think it's going to be very close. My heart says Sharks, but uh, unfortunately, uh, my head says that the Bulls will take this away at Loftus in front of a crowd. So I, I think that's how it'll go. You know, 15 years ago, the Sharks lost to the Bulls in uh, that Super Rugby. Don't even talk to me about Havana, bro. <laughs> that was hands in the ruck. You got lucky. Yeah, right. Saying. So, okay. So are we are we hoping that the Sharks pip the Bulls this time as a bit of payback? Yeah, well, 
interestingly enough, the Sharks beat the Bulls in the first round of regular season, the Bulls winning the second. So this will definitely determine who the dominant side is. But unfortunately, Jake White, guys. Jake I White, just feel exactly White. that. The Bulls are a little bit better coached. The He's Sharks will have their work cut out for them. It's, it's going to come down to... To the Springbok players putting on a massive performance in that shark side. The shark, if, if you look at the team sheets, I'd say I think the sharks maybe have a better team on paper, but uh, I think uh, the Bulls just seem to gel. Guys, better. we know we know Jake White is a, is a master of the game. You know he's the uh, Rassi, Eddie Jones. You know uh, he's at that caliber. He is uh, Stuart Lancaster. You know these guys are the best rugby coaches on planet Earth, and uh, I think if any team has a Jake White in their corner, they've probably got a little bit of an advantage. Yeah, I think definitely coaching wise, the Bulls have the advantage in that department. And after seeing the Sharks line out, I'm a bit worried what Ruan Nokia might do there. So yeah, going to be an interesting one. Definitely. Exciting. To watch. Can we just summarize this? What are we thinking? We're three shark supporters and we've just uh, punted yeah. the bulls here. Is this what is happening? Three this shark is... supporters living in Pretoria <laughs> oh, backing the bulls. This oh, is all no. strategic. It must go to the bulls' head and then the sharks will come in. And I definitely will still back the sharks on Super Brew Run. Yeah, okay, 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 sure. Uh, I'll <laughs> be back. Vers- Head, eh? I'm going to be backing the Bulls on Super Brew. I think this is a very opportune moment for me to get one up on Ronnie again. Shane, who do you think is better, Bowden Barrett or Richie Moonga? I think that anyone that's even having this discussion should be slapped over the back of the head. There's no question. Bowden Barrett is better than Richie. Just to put on record there, Ronald, now it's three against one. And did you see Bowden's performance this weekend against the Brumbies? A drop goal at the final Utah, winning the game for the Blues. Okay. I, I don't think Ronnie realizes that Bowden was uh, Dan Carter's uh, prodigy. prodigy. And he would learned under one of the best flowers of all time. Shouldn't even be a question. But then again, uh, you know, Ronnie is actually a, a secret uh, soccer or football fan. He's not really a rugby supporter. So we can see why he would believe that Richie's better. I actually have nothing to say. I'm very offended. I know. Right Someone is wrong that doesn't have anything to it. say. Yeah. But I think for those that are just joining in in the, sort of the middle of the season of the podcast, Ronnie and I have had this discussion quite a lot. And before the international season kicks off, Ronnie will be bringing some stats to try and prove his point. Not that I believe he's going to achieve that, but this is sort of an anticipation of all that. Hey, Ronnie. Do his stats include multiple World Cup winning medals? I don't know. Maybe so, Ronnie, not. you're clearly speechless on this topic. Why don't we give you the floor so you can either give us a rant or a rave in your two cents? All right. So last week, and I think the week before I indicated, I really wanted to talk about about the World Cup uh, host selections uh, that, were, that were taking place. Uh, but I'm going to push that out to next week. This week, I am going to talk about what the uh, absolute shambles of a game happened between Argentina and England in the sevens. Yeah, that was a shock. Did any of you guys see what actually took place there? I did. We got uh, a little bit of time wasting there. Just a little bit. So I'll put it in perspective. What has actually happened here is Canada was top of the lot after beating Japan. And uh, Argentina essentially needed to win to progress to the quarters. And England needed to lose by uh, less than 16 points. Canada, the game was in to lose as well. (laughs) So they played to lose. All right, so uh, England just needed to lose by less than 16 points with two minutes to go. England crossed the try line, but instead of dotting it down, tried to waste a little bit of time. So gamesmanship, sure, uh, but standing there for over two minutes and Argentina not actually going, approaching the player to tackle him. You know, both teams were happy just to let the clock run out and uh, progress to the quarters, which I think is an absolute bloody shame for Canada, who played so exceptionally well. And now because of, you know, time wasting for over two minutes in a sevens game by both uh, England and Argentina I think England was more at fault but Argentina calling their players back and allowing England to 
to run the clock down is an absolute shame to the game. Yeah, I think it was, for me, pretty disappointing. I mean, if you're a fan sitting there, you're not paying to see something like that. To put it into perspective, that's the equivalent of standing for 10 minutes in a 15-man's game without doing anything. Did I mean, you do a bit of math? Is that I did, I did. And in all honesty, and someone commented it on our page this morning after I posted it, I think that's match-fixing. They planned that. It clearly was a plan before the game because you can't tell me you're running with a ball to score a try and it's not in your head that that's the situation you've been told to do that mm. definitely match fixing i can't understand why argentina went along with it if that's not the reason for it we spoke about bringing the sport into disrepute honestly a shocker for me i don't know what you think about it shane yeah look uh, i've got a few opinions on it uh, we have to look and we've seen this before so so that whatever actually occurred there the time wasting when it comes to putting the try putting the ball down for the try we see that a lot in sevens you have to admit yeah we've got we wait for the attacking player it is such a short game you mentioned it so uh, a few seconds which you can gain as an advantage they'll definitely use so i have you have to look at it from from both sides so england certainly we're doing, I think, what has been done a lot. We see it a lot in the game. I think you have to place also some blame on Argentina, maybe quite a bit there, because why did they choose not to tackle that player? So if you follow the laws of the game, England weren't doing anything wrong. No one was coming to tackle him. Maybe they were doing something wrong by 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 taking it too far. I have seen it before where guys wait, wait, wait. They see no one's coming, so they eventually just put the ball down. They maybe waste 30 seconds or a minute. But Argentina chose not to have anyone follow him. And call their and players call back. They called them back. They refused to go and tackle him, which I think, in my opinion, should shoulder that Argentina should shoulder most of the blame for that. All they had to do to stop that motion was send one player out there to go, which they ultimately eventually did, to stop that player from wasting time and tackle him. And then it all would have been sorted out. I think Argentina knew what they were doing. They didn't want to concede tries against England and find themselves out in a position. They shoulder most of the blame because they could have stopped it, if you ask me. Well, I think Argentina is, uh, you know, Argentina is saying, well as long as we win this game we go through you know we don't you know if England wants to waste time let them waste time we don't want to risk injuring our players so I'm going to disagree that they should shoulder most of the blame and I'm going to say that they should shoulder uh, only a small amount of the blame England really that was just ridiculous after after a minute if no one's approaching you put the ball down let's go play some rugby you know I just want to to give an analogy here for all the English listeners that are going to defend their team and the Argentinian listeners that are going to defend their team imagine now 2023 we're in France, final group stage game between Wales and Australia, who are in England's pool. 70 minutes on the clock, Wales kick the ball off. Australia just stand there and leave the ball on the field, won't pick it up. Wales won't pick it up. And because of that, England gets knocked out of the World Cup for the second time in the group stages. How would you all feel then? It'll be a right. Yeah. Well, uh, you have to look at also, but you have to look at the at, at it being sevens and that that what England did is something which we see in the game a lot. No, for sure. So I, they I... did waste. Argentina didn't go for the tackle. That was their job in that situation is to go and stop that player and tackle him. There's always when there's a runner or a chase or someone that makes a break, there's always the fittest guy in the team for that sure. must chase and tackle that guy. They're tired, yes, but I don't think that's the excuse, guys. What England did is gaming. They gamed the system by doing it, but I think they gamed the system within the rules. Argentina specifically called their players back and said, no, we're not going to tackle them. That, for me, is an intentional something which we don't see. We don't see players standing back knocking. We do see players wasting time behind the try line all the time. We never see players held back. So you're, you're to quite adamant to put I'm the blame on that Argentina. The blame that, that okay. England should shoulder a small amount of the blame, but 90% of the blame goes to Argentina. Look, I don't think there's any debate that it wasn't within the rules because the ref would have intervened there. But for me, whenever South Africa finds a loophole in the rules, 
it's suddenly changed. Rossi can't be water boy or when Brendan Fenter helps Italy out and there's no offside lines, you know, then the rules must change. South Africa has a bomb squad. Eddie Jones wants the rules changed. You know, it's it's just that discrimination in terms of how the laws are applied and when they're changed that I would like to see addressed. Yeah, definitely within the rules. I don't think though, in terms of the spirit it wasn't of the in the spirit of the game. You can't deny that both teams should take blame for that. It's not fair to the fans. It wasn't in the spirit of the game. Yeah, they were gaming the system. Both of them should have just said, okay, if I'm gonna, if England are gonna court, score two quick fire tries against me and we get knocked out, then that's just the way it should have been. We should have defended better. Yeah. Same applies to England. And if the Argentina were going to score in the last second, that's just the way it goes. Look, that's rugby and that's sport, guys. Don't try and game the system. Yes, match-fixing type vibes are in the back of our heads. Play the game within the rules and, and play it properly in the spirit of the game. If you're going to lose at the last second, uh, it, it happens. Ask Sonop when they lost to us uh, back in the day. Uh, Raxes beat them in the last minute of the game. That's just the way it goes. It's the beauty, guys. Of, it's the the beauty of the sport. And then, guys, it's time for some Saturday, hey? So, Ronnie, last week, you and Carlo were both correct. I don't know how much she helped you on that one, but you were right. It is Jan Adrian Strauss. She did get the first guess in and both correct. So well done. You've taken your score up five. So now you've got Shane here for a little bit of help. For those that are listening for the first time, clues will be posted out in the week and they'll each get two questions and see if we can get the answer. So we're doing another name, the player. This player debuted for Western Province in 2007. He attended Paul Ruiz High School. His test debut was in 2009. He's a bronze medal winner, a bronze... Bronze medal, okay. He's a bronze medal winner in the Olympics. He boasts 46 test caps for the Springboks and he scored 25 test points. Let's start with you, Shane. What's your first question? Sure. Okay. So 46 test caps for the Springboks, you said, eh? Yes. That's quite a lot of test caps for someone that's played seven. So it kind of narrows down, I think. Um, I, I would say my first question is, is it a backline or forwards sevens player? So is it is the player in the scrum in their sevens or is he in the backline? He's a backline player. He's a backline sevens player. Yes. Okay. Ronnie, do you have a question for us? Uh, with respect to the Springboks, is he a World Cup uh, winner? <laughs> this question gets asked every week. Unfortunately, Ronnie, this is another player that has not won the World Cup. Okay, okay. So Shane? Well, I think typical Ronnie, uh, not paying any attention to the clues that were given. And Nicholas specifically said that he had 46 test caps and that uh, on his little information, it says 2009 to 2014 and uh, old Ronnie asked whether or not uh, there were any World Cup wins in between that period which uh, obviously proves that uh, he's a moron because <laughs> there weren't any South African World Cup wins uh, front to 2009 to 2014 so uh, yeah I'm a bit of a moron there anyway are we supposed to guess are we supposed no, to you get another question oh I get another question oh, interesting okay so not a World Cup winner he is a backline player okay hmm Okay, I'm going to ask, uh, what is his ethnicity? He's Caucasian. Oh, Caucasian. Ah, okay, yes. interesting, interesting. And you, Ronald, okay. last question. <clears throat> is he currently playing his trade in South Africa? No, he is not currently playing in South Africa. Okay, Let's see, okay. which of you is going to take a guess first? Should we try with you, Shane, see if you can help Ronnie out a bit? Backline player's got 46 test caps. Wow. Okay. This is a tough one, guys. Shall I jump the gun here? Ronnie, jump the gun while I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, is the player Francois Hercott? I don't know. Shane, who's your guess? Wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Three four. <laughs> that is a very good guess. I'm going to 100% support Ronnie. <laughs> so you both think it's Francois Hocart, eh? 
Well, guys, unfortunately, like our listeners, you're going to have to wait for Saturday to find out. Thanks for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. Keep the comments coming, the likes coming. We're always keen to hear from you guys. And yeah, if you're looking for an agent or you're looking for legal representation in the sporting sphere, get in contact with Javelin Sports. Ask for Shane. Hopefully we'll have him as a guest on the show again. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers.